What I'm trying to say is you have everything you need right now to be used by God. You, you don't need to wait till someday. You don't have to get it all together, have all these life experiences or whatever. All you need is faith in God because, listen, the power of God and the spirit of God is enough. It's not Jesus and your education. It's not Jesus and your life experience. It's not Jesus and whatever, how many times you've been to church or anything like that. It's Jesus. It's, that's it. God makes us sufficient. God makes us able to walk into the things that he has for us. And so the theme of the book of Daniel, we see that in this character. His name is Daniel. As a young man makes a decision to follow after God, and God begins to radically use him and transform the world that he was in. And tonight we're going to continue sort of with this idea and see really some of the major things that allowed him to have the influence that he had, but also with influence comes opposition. And I've titled this message, if you take notes, how to change the world, how to change the world. That's basically what we're going to attempt to talk about tonight. Pray for me because that's, I think, a big, uh, big idea, I think. It's kind of a heavy claim. How to change the world. Daniel chapter 6, um, beginning of verse 1. We're going to work our way through the whole chapter. We'll circle back. I've got three quick thoughts and then we'll call it a night. So most of our time is going to be read going through this chapter and then uh, we'll talk about it. It says this, verse 1, It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be over the whole kingdom. Now pause just for a moment right there. If you remember last time that uh, our king was Belshazzar. And Belshazzar was the son, some think even the grandson of Nebuchadnezzar. And he was being attacked by the Medo-Persian Empire. You probably will learn about them in history, the Medo-Persian Empire. And they come in, and they are about to take over the Babylonian Empire, but Belshazzar thinks his, his kingdom is set. He's not even worried about it. So he throws a party and gets drunk while the Medo-Persians are right literally outside his door. And then we're told that a crazy floating hand comes into the party and basically says that you have been weighed and you've been found wanting. In other words, you, uh, the bill has come and you don't have enough to pay the bill. It's basically what it says. Like, and as a result, your life is required. That night, the Medo-Persians conquer the Babylonians and now Darius is the new king as he set up his empire. So that's who he is now the king of the Medo-Persian Empire, and he sets it up where Babylon was. And at this time, it was the largest empire in the known world, the largest empire. It spread all over the known world, and he would go and conquer them and set up his empire. Darius is that guy. He's setting up his empire, and he says he set up about 120 satraps to be over the whole kingdom. Think of them kind of like mayors. So he set up 120 mayors throughout this whole kingdom. And then he says, and over these three governors of whom Daniel was one. So 120 mayors and then three governors to make sure that the mayors are doing what they're supposed to be doing. And then it says, then this Dan oh, excuse me, uh, Daniel was one and that, that the satraps might give account to them so that the king would suffer no loss. Then this Daniel distinguished himself above the governors and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king gave a thought to setting him over the whole realm. So uh, Daniel is one of these three governors that oversee 120 satraps. And Daniel was so set apart that the king thought, I might make this guy second in charge. 
So there would be king, and then Daniel, and then everybody else. That's basically his train of thinking right now. Then it says, so the governors and satraps sought to find some charge against Daniel concerning the kingdom, but they could find no charge or fault because he was faithful, nor was there any error or fault found in him. Then these men said, we shall not find any charge against Daniel unless we find it against him concerning the law of his God. So these governors and satraps thronged before the king and said to him, King Darius, live forever. All the governors of the kingdom, the administrators and satraps, the counselors and the advisors have consulted together to establish a royal statue and to make a firm decree. Now pause. He just said that everybody got together to make this plan. You'll see in a moment that the plan definitely didn't involve Daniel. So the guy that's going to be second in charge, he's one of three that's at the top. They said, everybody's come together, and we've, got, we've thought of this brilliant plan. King, you're going to love it. <laughs> Ready for it? He says that whoever petitions any god or man for 30 days except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Man, this, story, this whole book is so weird. They come up with the craziest ways to kill people, don't they? <laughs> like, in the beginning, we've got, like, chopped into pieces, right? That's not normal. Then we've got thrown into a fire furnace, again, not normal. And now they're like, let's come up with another plan. Anybody got any lions, like, hanging out? Oh, yeah, I've got a whole den of them. Cool. Let's throw the people in there. Then it says, now, O king, establish the decree, sign the writing, so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which does not alter. Therefore, King Darius signed the written decree. So this decree is saying for the next month, the next 30 days, no one can pray except for through King Darius. So they're basically wanting to exalt king even higher than king. They want to say, like, hey, king, we want you to be like the high priest for us. Like, not just king, but be high priest. You're the one, the mediator that allows us to go to God or to the gods. So we can't pray to anybody else. Now, when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went home. And in his upper room, with his windows open toward Jerusalem, he knelt down on his knees three times that day and prayed and gave thanks before his God, as was his custom since early days. Then these men assembled and found Daniel praying and making supplication before his God. And they went before the king and spoke concerning the king's decree. Have you not signed a decree that every man who petitions any God or man within 30 days except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? The king answered and said, This thing is true, according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which it does not alter. So they answered and said before the king, The Daniel... That Daniel, who is one of the captives from Judah, does not show due regard for you, O king, or the decree that you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. And the king, when he heard these words, listen to this, was greatly displeased with himself and set his heart on Daniel to deliver him. And he labored till the going down of the sun to deliver him. Then these men approached the king and said to the king, King, know, O king, that it is the law of the Medes and Persians that no decree or statue with the king, that the king establishes may be changed. So the king gave command and brought Daniel and cast him into the den of the lions. But the king spoke, saying to Daniel, Your God, whom you serve continually, he will deliver you. Think about this for a moment. This king makes this decree. He says, if anybody prays, they're going to get thrown into the lion's den. Then he finds out Daniel, his boy, 
Like the guy he's thinking about setting second in command is praying. He's not mad at Daniel. He's not like, Daniel, you idiot. Like, why? You're not supposed to pray. He's mad at himself. Why? Because he recognizes that something's different about Daniel and the God that he worships. So then he goes to him and he says, listen, Daniel, I'm sorry. I tried everything I could. But the rule in our land is that if I sign this thing, it cannot change. Even though, even though I want it as king, want it to change. Once I sign on the dotted line, it, you can't, there's no take backs. I can't change it. And he says, but listen, I trust. So you, you, I'm just, you're going to you're gonna go in the lion's den. But then he says, he says, but your God whom you serve faithfully. Like, think about this. The king who's about to kill him is giving him a pep talk. He's like, don't, don't worry about it, Daniel. Your God's got this. Like, I know, I know I'm about to throw you in the lion's den, and, like, it doesn't look good for you, but your God is bigger than the lions. Your God, he can, he can do the impossible. Like, think about that. That's crazy. The enemy is giving him a holy pep talk. Then it says, then a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the signets of his lords, that the purpose concerning Daniel might not be changed. Now the king, he went to his palace and spent the night fasting, and no musicians were brought before him. Also his sleep went from him. Then the king arose very early in the morning and went in haste to the den of lions. And when he came to the den, he cried out with a lamenting voice to Daniel. The king spoke, saying, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? Now imagine for a second there was like a hush, right? It was like, lions, lions, lions. <laughs> and then he listens, and probably Daniel waking up from sleeping on uh, one of the lions. <sighs> He's like, did you guys hear something? <laughs> and then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouth so that they have not hurt me because I was found innocent before him. And also, O king, I have done no wrong before you. Now the king was exceedingly glad for him and commanded that they should take Daniel up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den and no injury, whatever was found on him because he believed in his God. And then remember, ready for this? The king gave the command and they brought those men who accused Daniel and they cast them into the den of lions them their children their wives and the lions overpowered them broke all their bones in pieces before they ever came to the bottom of the den think about that they throw them in and before they get like sharks jumping out of the water these are like lions jumping inside of a den I don't know why I needed to make the lions scarier they're lions jumping out and literally mauling them to death before they even hit the ground. And then King Darius writes a song and he says, uh, To all peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in every dominion of my kingdom, men must tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God and steadfast forever. His kingdom is the one which shall not end uh, or be destroyed. His dominion shall endure to the end. He delivers and rescue, and he works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth, who has delivered Daniel from the power of the lion. So, the Dan so this Daniel prospered in the reign of Darius and in the reign of Cyrus the Persian. So Daniel, again, this is his second empire he is under. 
First, he was taken captive by, remember, the Babylonians under the rule of King Nebuchadnezzar. He was brought out of Israel as a young boy, 13 years old-ish, into Babylon, and he was stuck in the palace. And there in the palace, he made this decision that he was going to honor God, he was going to follow God, and as a result, God began to exalt him. Pretty soon, Daniel was, was one of the top people in the kingdom of Babylon. But then Babylon fell, just like God said it would. Babylon fell, and then the Medo-Persian Empire comes in, takes this place. Now imagine that. You're basically, I, I just think you're so far down the line as far as who is going to get exalted in the kingdom. right? You're, you are a slave from Israel to the Babylonians, now under the Medo-Persian. Like, I got to imagine when they conquer an empire, they have people in their mind that they're going to, like, put in charge. Don't you think? Like, king rolls in, and he's like, hey, you, we've groomed you for this. We've trained you for this. You know what it's like to be in the Persian empire. You've got all these things. So now you're here. You're not going to find some random slave boy from Israel that was under the kingdom of Babylon and say, like, hey, you want to run this thing? Like, we don't really know what we're doing, so maybe you could do it. But Daniel, there was something so different about this guy that as soon as they walk in, as soon as they set up their kingdom, he is put in a place of prominence. And he continued in these different moments to have influence and change the culture. Remember, Daniel is an old man at this time. He made a decision as a teenager, but now he's in his 80s. He's an old man and yet still having influence. I think we live in a world of influence, don't we? Or we especially live in an influencer world, don't we? Like how many of you are on Instagram and know like half the people you follow are influencers? Actually, probably all of the people that you follow think they're influencers. <laughs> right? They're like, just got this new, whatever. Like tag my new, whatever. And it's like, look at me. An influencer. And everybody, everybody at least wants to be or thinks they are. And so many of the people that you, we follow, I'm, me too, the people I follow are, it's just an ad all the time. Like I think it's cool and like, yeah, we're buddies. Like I know you have 150,000 followers, but you and I, we're friends. But if you notice, every one of their posts, they're tagging something because they got paid to post that Instagram. Everybody's an influencer. Everybody's selling something, whether it's essential oils or, or it's, or it's the, uh, social media or their, their bathing suit or something. They're selling something, right? And it, even if it's not on social media, we're all selling something. Like we're selling the newest restaurant in town. Like you've got to go here. You've got to check this place out. Or we're selling like the newest album. Like did you hear whoever's newest album? And we're, all, we're constantly selling. We're constantly being influenced and attempting to influence, aren't we? That's the world that we live in. But did you know that, that Christians are actually, and don't think I'm lame for this. I'm not trying to be lame. I'm just trying to be real. That Christians are the original influencers. That God told, or excuse me, Jesus, before he ascended into heaven, he gave us a very clear message. He said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every single person that you encounter. He says, God will empower you by his spirit to be a witness every place that you go. God has called us to witness, to be 
a witness every place we go with the gospel, which means good news, the message of hope for humanity, that through faith in Jesus Christ, we can have forgiveness of sins and enter into relationship with God. Now, how do we actually make an impact? Because it's one thing, right, to, to attempt to influence. It's another thing to make an impact. It's one thing to say, like, you should go and buy this product, or you should go and eat at this restaurant, or you should go and do this thing. But it's another thing when somebody, like, actually takes that and does something with it, you know? Like, have you ever found yourself in... I'm not speaking from experience, but somebody like posts a t-shirt and then you go into like this, the craziest rabbit trail of hunting where this t-shirt came from so that you could also buy it. And then you get so desperate, you message somebody with like 1.8 million followers and you're like, where'd you get this t-shirt? <laughs> nope. No, I've never done that before. <laughs> but right, like how do you get somebody to, to actually respond and Respond to what, in a sense, you're selling. It's one thing to attempt to be, to influence. It's another thing to make an impact. Daniel's making an impact. Daniel is living in a place that he doesn't belong, doing a job that, I mean, really he wasn't designed to do, to work for another kingdom, and yet here he is making a difference in his world. What did he do? Three quick things and we'll, done, we'll be done. Number one, you can write this down, was excellence. You can write this in parentheses, know why you're there. Excellence, know why you're there. Look at verse 3. I love this verse. It says, this Daniel, he distinguished himself. That word distinguished, it means he set himself apart. Like he was ahead of the rest. Like you looked at everybody else, it was about average, it was about even. And then Daniel, there was something different about him. And it says this, above the governors and satraps, because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king gave thought to setting him over the whole realm. This excellent spirit. Everything that Daniel did was done with excellence. He wasn't lazy. He didn't cut corners. He worked hard and did everything to the best of his ability. I think sometimes we think influence comes from talent alone. That if we could have some sort of talent or it comes from a platform alone. Like if you had a bigger platform or if you had more talent, then you would have more influence. And I think a part of that is true. Like somebody like that gets up and in front of an audience of 10,000 people, like that's a pretty big deal. Like somebody that has 100,000 followers on Instagram, when they post, that's a big deal. Like me with a couple hundred followers, like not that big a deal. You know what I mean? Like, but so if you have more talent you probably have a bigger platform and if you have a bigger platform you probably would have more influence at least more people would see it but what I want you to know is that that talent or or platform is not what allows for influence real influence comes from doing things with excellence real influence comes from working hard and setting an example Real influence comes not by just preaching some, some random message to the masses, but actually living it out and setting yourself apart. Influence happens when you're in your classroom and you are turning in your work on time and you're doing the best of your ability. Real influence happens when you're on the football field or at baseball practice or, 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 or studying after school or whatever it is and putting your all in that moment. 
because excellence, it stands out. Average, no offense to all of us who are, might be average, but average is pretty average, right? Average doesn't set us apart. That's kind of the, what the word average means. It means you lump everybody together, and you add the whatever, and you divide it by whatever. Amen. Math. I know things. You get the average. But excellence is, is you see, here's the average. It's about like this. And then excellence. Something stands out. Something's different. And what it says is the reason Daniel stood out is because he did everything with excellence. Showed up on time. He stayed late. He made sure everything he needed to do was finished. He made sure that all the people he was overseeing were doing their jobs. He made sure that he took the blame and responsibility when things went wrong. He wasn't passing it along to other people. He recognized, you know, that's my bad. That's my fault. I'm in charge. That person didn't get it done. That's on me. I'm going to make sure it doesn't, get, doesn't happen like that again. Excellence is making sure that everything you do is done to the best of your ability. And Daniel continued to rise through the ranks because he worked hard. Because change and impact doesn't happen from one post or from one moment. I think this is so important in the world that we live in right now. Because everybody jumps on a horse or jumps on a stage and shouts out this one like, cause, right? (laughs) March, right? Stand. And then what happens? A week later, you're like, what were we so mad about last week? <laughs> like, what was, what was the last thing that, that that celebrity with 40 billion followers posted about? I can't remember. Because it's like, it's change, but it's nothing, it's not everyday life that sees that thing actually come about. Yeah. It comes from making an impact right where you are with the people around you. Daniel, he knew why he was there. He recognized that he was there for a reason. God placed me here. I have an excellent spirit on me. There's something about me. God has set me apart. We talked about that last week. God has set me apart, and so I'm going to do these things to the best of my ability. It's to work hard and make a difference right where you are. Secondly, and I'll make these things go faster. Second thing, character. Know who you are. You're good. It's a nice song. It was, it was for emphasis. Character, know who you are. <laughs> Character, point number two, know who you are. They make a decree, right? So, so Daniel begins, because he's working hard, because he's, he's, he has this excellent spirit, he begins to be exalted. Because when you work hard, God's going to exalt you. The Bible makes that abundantly clear. When you humble yourself before the Lord, when you do what's right in front of you, when you act in humility and you just put your head down and you work, God will exalt you. But then he says, so so because of that, there was this decree that goes out that targets Daniel, right? All of us got together, well, except for Daniel. All of us got together except for Daniel, and we're making this decree that literally, basically all they needed to do was go in and say, like, hey, we don't really like Daniel. Do you think we could throw him in the lion's den? That's basically what they're saying. And so they go in and they're saying, hey, let's make this decree that if you pray, I don't know, like if, if you pray other than through you, like if you have another God that you like really believe in and you pray through that God, then like maybe you'll go into the lion's den. And the king's like, oh, okay. And he signs it. But notice it, what Daniel does immediately. Verse 10, 
Now, when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he knew it. It wasn't like he couldn't plead ignorance. Like, oh, I, I didn't, that happened today. That was today? Huh. No, no, he knew it was signed. He went home and in his upper room with his windows open, he wasn't hiding anything, toward Jerusalem, he knelt down on his knees three times that day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as his custom was since the early days. All the way back to when he was a teenager. All the way back when he was first this kid in Babylon working for this king that, that was crazy. As his custom was, three times a day he would pray. Now we're told that three times a day uh, he would pray towards Jerusalem. This was not a law of the Old Testament. It wasn't a law that they had to open up their windows, face Jerusalem, and pray three times a day. In fact, many people have taken that to be law, but it's not law. There, there's one mention of this idea in 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 3. It says it like this. It says, so all the elders of Israel came, and the priests uh, took up the ark. Next verse. Do I have the next verse? I just gave you that one. Oh, man, my fault. Oh, wait, is that 8, 3? Ah, I'll turn there. It's important. 1 Kings. That was my fault. I gave them one verse, and it was a continuation. Verse 8, or chapter 8, verse 3. It says this. Um, so the elders, is that the right verse? Oh, no. I don't think that's the right verse. What if about second Kings? Let me just look real quick, and if not, then I will, uh, I'll just exit stage left. Nope, it's not that verse. Basically what it says, <laughs> my bad. Um, Solomon basically says, who is the king, he says that every time that you are away, he says, and when you turn your face to Jerusalem and you pray, all he says is let God hear you extra. It's basically what he says. He says, like, let God's ear be attentive to you. It's not a command. It's not a decree. It's not a thou shalt pray towards Jerusalem three times a day. The reason I bring that up was because this was just a part of Daniel's rhythm and a part of his practice. Him, in his relationship with God, however it was, in his early days, he set up, he's like, do you know what? This life is tough. I don't know if I can keep going. I don't know if I can keep saying no to the things I should say no to. And I don't know if I can keep saying yes to the things of God. This is difficult. I need to pray. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to set a reminder on my phone three times a day. I'm going to go up into my room. I'm going to open up the window. I'm going to look towards Jerusalem because I'm going to remember where I came from. I'm going to remember that I am not a Babylonian even though I'm living in Babylon. I, I'm not this person that is just working for the king even though I'm working for the king. I'm going to point myself to Jerusalem to remind myself who I am. I am a follower of God. I'm a child of God. I'm a, I, I work for the king of kings, not this king. And so I'm going to remind myself three times a day to face Jerusalem and pray because I need to remember who I am. So his purpose was not, was not ritualistic. It wasn't religion. He was saying, I need to face Jerusalem and I need to remember where I came from and I need to remember who I am am. Listen, when it comes to being an influencer of the gospel, you need to remember who you are. Or more specifically, whose you are. It's important for us when we go out, especially in the chaos of our world, especially in the ups and downs of life, especially with the pressures from school and parents and friends and lifestyle and culture, with all of that, we need to remember who we are. 
and his character, who he was, said, I am a follower of God, and I'm going to make sure that I have practice in place that goes with who I am. I'm going to make practice in place, disciplines, choices in place that goes with who I am. Because listen, if you can remember who you are, it will help you make decisions, I promise you. Because you'll look at your life and you'll go, would a follower of Jesus do this? Would a child of God act like this? Would a servant to the king of kings behave like this? I'm a child of God. This is who I am. And because this is who I am, I'm not going to behave like that. I'm telling you, it will change how you live your life if you can remember who you are. If you've said yes to Jesus, you are a child of God. That's who you are. There's no, there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. That is who you are. And so now every decision that you make, you, you can just process it and go, i got to remember who I am. I'm a child of God. Is this something that the child of God would do? Is this something that, that a, a daughter to the king of kings would do? Is this something that, that a son of the king of kings and the lord of lords would do? I'm a child of God. I'm not going to behave like that. I'm a child. I don't need that in my life. I don't need to go there. I don't need to act like that. Why? Because I know who I am. I know whose I am. I know that I'm set apart. All right, final thing, worship team, you guys can come back up here. I'm done. Character, and then third thing, faithfulness. Faithfulness, what you are to do. You need excellence. Everything you need to do is with excellence, to the best of your ability, to the glory of God. Character, know who you are. You belong to the King of kings, to the Lord of lords, and everything you do should stem from who you are. And then thirdly, faithfulness, what you're to do. First, Daniel was faithful to God. Above everything else, Daniel was faithful to God. Listen to what the king said about Daniel. I know I already read it, but I want you to see it again. Verse 16, the king, speaking of Daniel, says this. He says, uh, I'm going to cast you into the lion's dens, but the king spoke saying, your God, whom you serve continually, he will deliver you. He said the same thing in verse 20. He says, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? Twice, he says, Daniel, your God, whom you serve continually. That word continually, it means, it, it means constantly. It means perpetually. It means that his life was wrapped around serving his God. Everything he did, constantly, it's about, I want to I walk with God. I want to do what God wants me to do. I want to live pleasing to God. I want to honor God. I want to glorify God. Everything I do, he was serving God, whom you serve continually, has he delivered you. He's faithful to God in every area of his life, so much so that the king, the one that he's supposed to be working for, recognizes that who Daniel's actually serving isn't the king, it's God. Not only was he faithful to God, but he was also faithful to his, what was right in front of him. Right? So, so you go all the way back to the beginning of his life. Right in the beginning when he's taken uh, away uh, in Daniel chapter 1 and he's living there and he's like, do you know what? The food that they're setting in front of me, it looks delicious, but I know that, that this, this stuff, it doesn't please God. Because the old covenant, there was, there was food laws, all of these things. And Daniel's like, not for religion, but to honor God. I don't think I should eat this food. And so he's like, sorry, guys, I can't, I can't eat that food. And they're like, uh, you have to eat that food. He's like, how about we make a deal? 
I'll go for the next little while and I won't eat, I'll just eat vegetables. Your guys can, they can eat steak and lobster and whatever else they're eating. Um, at the end of the month, whoever's healthier, whoever's more fit, then that's the diet we'll go with. And so for that period of time, just vegetable, celery, <laughs> carrots, <laughs> right? He's making soup. He's like doing whatever he can with the vegetables. He's like, I can't eat all that good stuff, but I'm just going to be faithful to eat my vegetables. And what happens? God honors him. He's exalted. Then you fast forward, right? You've got him in it last week or, or, or when, there's, when there's the dreams or all these other things. His, the, with the dreams happen and every, no one can interpret it. And, and the thing is, if you can't interpret it, you're going to get chopped into pieces. And he goes to God. He's like, I don't know if I can do this, but God, you know everything. So would you give me the interpretation? And he goes before the king and he's like, hey, king, you're not going to like this, but I got to tell you what, what the dream's about. And he tells him. God honors him. Here he is again, faithful, right in front of him. He's like, okay, I'll be a governor. If that's what you want me to do, I'll be a governor. I'll, I'll make sure that all these guys are doing what they're supposed to do. And the king's like, huh, I like this guy. Maybe he'll, maybe he'll be second in command. The other guys don't like him. They're like, we're going to get rid of him, throw him into the lion's den. What does he do? He goes, he prays. <laughs> I, I think like, Daniel, you're in your 80s, bro. Like you have proved it that you love God and you're living with God. Like, you have proved it that you pray three times a day for the last 80 years, bro. Like, how about you take a month off for your life's sake? Right? Like, if Daniel was like, do you know what? Um, just, I know I've three times a day for the last month or for the last 80-something years I've been praying like this. But it's kind of like, it's just 30 days, God. Just 30 days. I'll take it off, and then we'll be right back to where it is. Or I think, like, what if Daniel just, like, prayed with his eyes open? Like at work. You know what I mean? Like, why did he have to go home three times a day, open up the windows, do these things? You know what I'm saying? Like, he could have just, but why? He's faithful. He was faithful to what's in front of him. He's like, this, this is what helps me walk with God. This is what helps me remember that I'm a child of God. I need this in my life. I need this practice. I need this discipline. Side note, it is good to have practices and disciplines. It's not religion. It's, it's helping us stay on target. Right, So if you need to set a reminder on your phone to read your Bible, it's not to do a checklist. It's to help you stay disciplined. Discipline's a good thing. Practice is a good thing. Habit is a good thing when it's a good habit. So he's like, I need to, I need to pray like this. Why? Because I'm faithful to God. Daniel was faithful to what he was called to do. And listen, as a result of his faithfulness, God was able to do something miraculous. I think we overthink what we can do in a week and underthink what we can do in a year. I think we think that we can go into school and in one week we could transform it. Like maybe you heard a fire message or you had a great devotion and you're like, that's it? I'm changing everything. Like it's no, it, it's not going to be like this anymore. God, I'm going to be used by you. We're going to we set this place on fire in Jesus' name. It's going to be different. And then we have a rough week and then we're like, I, well, I tried. God, where were you? I did this for a whole week, man. I set myself apart. I listened to only worship music on the way into school. I tried, man. And we, we, we think that we can do so much in a week, and we, and we don't think enough of what we can do faithfully in a year. I bet you you could watch your classroom transform if you were faithful to him in it for a year or two years or three years or four years. Faithfulness doesn't happen overnight. That's kind of the idea of faithfulness. It's every day. 
just it's consistent. It's, it's I'm going to keep showing up. I'm going to keep doing what God wants me to do. God honors faith and faithfulness. Daniel had faith big enough for the lion's den. He wasn't scared of the lion's den. He had faith big enough for the lion's den, but he had faith regular enough, regular enough for those three prayers a day. Think about that. Like, we want faith for the lion's den. We want to be able to get thrown into whatever and be like, God, I know you're with me. You're going to deliver me. Let's go. But how, much, how many of us have faith to just get up and read our Bible and ask God to give us strength for the day? How many of us have faith enough to just be like, hey, buddy, you keep talking bad about this person. Like, let's, let's just be nice to him. Like, hey, you, you're all depressed and you're all anxious. And it's because you keep looking at that person or this music or this thought for hope and help. And it's not going to give you what you need. You need Jesus. And, and, and we forget about faith to just step into whatever's right in front of us. The faith for the lion's den comes from faithfulness of prayer when nobody's looking. How we change the world. Let me tell you, it's through knowing your why. It's through knowing who you are, and it's knowing what you're supposed to do. It's excellence, it's character, and it's faithfulness. Let's stand together.